Thank God for this morning. Thank God for uh, his people. Thank God for allowing us to gather in this place. Um, we, we can't take it for granted that we can gather here and, and even gather here safely. Um, it, that, it's all God, right? Amen. Um, so we're going to continue this, this journey on the road to the, to the resurrection. Um, we're going to look at the gospel according to St. Luke this morning. The gospel according to St. Luke. And I, I want you also, as, as we continue through this, this series and as we <clears throat> head to uh, the resurrection, I want you to be encouraged to uh, invite uh, friends and family to come, to come join us. Uh, they don't have to wait till Easter, you know, uh, but just, just be encouraged to invite someone um, so that they can hear, so that they can hear. The book of Luke, the 22nd chapter. The book of Luke, the 22nd chapter. And uh, I'm going to be sharing, uh, I'm going to read verses 14 through 23. We're going to uh, focus in there. Uh, but before I read those verses, I just want to uh, pick up two verses prior, uh, two verses, verse 7 and verse 8. So Luke chapter 22, I'm going to read verses 7 and verse 8, and then I will drop down to the, the text, the focal verses of 14 through 23. Luke 22, verse 7 says, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go to prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. Verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table." For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for allowing us to look at the table this evening. That evening, Lord... Uh, 
as Christ sat with his disciples in the upper room. We thank you that you open it to us and we pray that we get understanding now, uh, understanding that will direct our hearts and minds toward you and toward your purpose, toward love and uh, toward, Lord, uh, those things that you have called us to. We pray, Lord, uh, for fresh anointing to preach and anointing to receive your word. We thank you, Lord. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, you're my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. My, my family has a Thanksgiving tradition or, or ritual or tradition or, uh, that it was established by my grandmother a long, long time ago. When we come together for that meal, uh, we, all, we all sit around the table and, and the room and share a word about the things that we're thankful for. It's a very intimate time in the family. Sometimes the thankfulness is so rich that people cry as they try to share it. Other times it's, it's so short and simple that we might laugh about it. it it's a beautiful tradition we, we look forward to each year. But uh, one year, uh, the purpose and the significance of the tradition was elevated for me as, uh, as my mother sat with us in the midst of her terminal illness, sharing what she was thankful for. It was a time of, of hanging on to her words. It was a time when Thanksgiving took on a much deeper meaning. No time of thanks at Thanksgiving has or will be the same after that one. In the scripture today, Jesus gathers with his disciples to share in an annual feast of remembering and giving thanks. What he shares with them at this meal will forever change what it means for them to gather and break bread together. Here at this table, uh, the Lord is, is serving sacrifice for supper. That's the title. Sacrifice for supper. The book, the book of Luke was written to give an orderly account of the things that took place in the life of Christ and in the forming of the church so that believers can be certain about the things that we've been taught. Luke, the physician, the Gentile, the historian, is used by God to complete this book that highlights God's plan of salvation. He shows Jesus reversing many expectations uh, uh, completing the work of salvation. At this point in the text, we find Jesus less than 24 hours from the cross. At the head of a table, Jesus takes hold of an old festival and creates a new memorial that will lead people into the promised new covenant. He's serving sacrifice for supper. Verse 14 says, and when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. Here, here the Lord is at another table. Uh, if you remember, uh, 
The last time he was at a table, if you were here when we talked about it, he was reclining at table. Uh, uh, all kinds of chaos broke out. He was there in Bethany. Uh, 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 with the presence of Lazarus at the table after being raised from the dead by Jesus and then the extravagant worship of Mary anointing Jesus with expensive perfume. Uh, But instead of showing him honor, religious leaders had decided that they wanted to kill him. Uh, Here, it's, it's only about six days later, he's gathered at another table with his disciples now. Verse 7 lets us know that it's the day of unleavened bread when the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. The feast of unleavened bread, uh, it's a seven-day holiday that God directed Israel to observe after he set them free from slavery in Egypt. It, It was called the feast of unleavened bread because when God saved them, they left Egypt so quickly there was no time to add yeast and wait for bread to rise. Uh, they, they, had, they had been there 430 years, but when God moved, it was rapid. And this can help some of us while, we're wait, while we wait on God for answers. Uh, it's good to remember how powerful he is and how quickly he can turn a situation, but still he turns it in his time. The first day of the feast was called Passover, and it pointed back to the way God delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt, the way he did it. Uh, Exodus chapter 12 describes, describes it like this. After 430 years, God sending Moses and nine plagues. Pharaoh and Egypt were still determined not to let Israel go. So God sends the 10th plague and kills all the firstborn in that land, uh, uh, people and livestock. But before he did, he warned Israel and instructed each household to take a male lamb without a spot or a blemish and kill it. Before roasting And eating the lamb, uh, uh, they were to take the blood, some of the blood from the lamb and and spread it on the doorposts of their homes. The Lord promised that when he saw the blood of the lamb, hallelujah, when he saw the blood of the lamb, he would pass over that home and hold back the plague of death from them. The people did what God said, and then God did what he said he was going to do. Uh, There's still a blessing in obedience. It was the the highest moment in Israel's history. Actually, it was was their beginning as a nation with God that, that that final act of judgment by God broke Egypt and brought Israel deliverance. He told them to forever remember the time he delivered them and showed them mercy and hate and, and how he passed over them with his judgment. Over 1,500 years later, they sat there at this meal to remember what God had done. But now that Jesus had come, now that Jesus has showed up, they're, they're, they're going to learn something new about what God is doing. Something different God 
had in mind for them there at the table that evening. <coughs> the meal at, at the Passover, uh, the meal at the Passover celebration, it came with a certain menu that was assigned by God. You don't, you know, you go to those places, they have the preset menus. I don't like that. <laughs> I don't, I want to get what I want. <clears throat> Unless God sets the menu. God set this menu. There, there was to be roasted lamb, bitter herbs, and unleavened bread. But Jesus announces a change in the menu at this supper. Along with the traditional meal will be his body, his blood, and betrayal all on the table. His betrayal. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus is well aware of the approaching time, the time for his suffering and sacrifice. And just notice how it coincides with the time that the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Uh, uh, His sacrifice for sin is right at the door. So Jesus has desired, the word kind of tells us that he desired with a great urgent desire to sit at this meal with his disciples. He wants to both prepare and pour purpose into them before he is separated from them by the coming suffering of the cross, now only is hours away. It, it is a suffering that they are not prepared for. Still, they'll, they'll need to understand it, that it's a part of Jesus' purpose and the plan of God, the suffering. If you've ever experienced suffering or, or been near someone who was suffering uh, and watching suffering play out in the lives of others, uh, you, you may have been tempted to think that, that you or them could probably do without that part of God's plan in your life. Well, I could do without that suffering, Lord. I, I don't need that. As Jesus prepares his disciples, we can also learn, though, a lesson. We can learn that suffering is a necessary part of the path that leads to the future prepared by God. It's a necessary part of the path that leads to the future that's prepared by God. I, I, could, I could think of a couple more ways to argue that point, but I'll just ask one question and then I'll leave it alone and move on. Without suffering, would anyone ever long for heaven? You think about it driving home. Jesus begins announcing to his disciples that he won't share this meal in this way with them again. He's he's not only letting them know that he is going to be separated from them by suffering. He's also sharing something about this sacred celebrated meal of Passover. It's been held in the highest regard, but it hasn't reached its highest meaning yet. Uh, uh, it's been, it, it's, it's not all that it should be. There, there's something more to this meal, something greater to be revealed now that Jesus is here. So here at the table, Jesus begins to unpack it slowly for them. 
And he took a cup, verse 17, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Jesus is doing more than declaring his abstinence from wine in this text. He's leading and beginning to take the meal in a new direction towards God's true fulfillment of it. Four cups of wine diluted with water had become a part of the Passover meal celebration. Each cup representing a response of thanks or a truth shared about God's deliverance of his people in the Exodus. The host of the meal would direct the drinking of the cups at different times throughout the meal. Rehearse, then rehearse the story of the Exodus and lead the group in contemplating its meaning. Psalms of praise were also sung and recited at different times throughout the meal. We won't go through the meaning assigned to all of the four cups, but recognize that they were all connected to God's deliverance. I'm in agreement with many other scholars who believe that this particular cup that Jesus gives thanks for and has his disciples share among themselves is the first cup in the Passover celebration. This first cup was called the cup of sanctification. Sanctification as Israel was separated and and marked and set apart for God's salvation by the Lamb's blood on the doorpost while they were in Egypt. Jesus now prepares the disciples to share in the act of being set apart or sanctified for the deliverance of God that's about to take place on the cross. Jesus shares again how he won't be participating in this old type of memorial meal any longer, and he begins to point forward to something. He turns the focus toward the future coming kingdom when everything represented by the cups and the meal will all be complete. There was a future banquet that God's people looked forward to that would only occur when the Messiah showed up. It was a table where all of God's chosen people would sit down and eat a feast in peace and with joy. I want to be there. It it was spoken of in in Isaiah, the 25th chapter, verses 6 through 8. Also in, in Luke chapter 14 and verse 15. Speaking of the coming kingdom of God and the fulfillment of the cup in God's kingdom, Jesus begins looking forward to a time when the celebration of God's salvation won't be an annual feast honoring the past, but becomes a permanent condition for God's people. It'll be an everyday thing, y'all, celebrating God's salvation. Jesus then takes other elements of the Passover meal and uses them to describe how people would now begin to move from the past salvation of God into the present and future salvation of God. In 19, he says, and he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup 
after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus gives thanks for the unleavened loaf of bread on the table that represented the quickness of Israel's departure from Egypt. It was called the bread of affliction. In the book of Deuteronomy, in the 16th chapter, the third verse, you hear that title for the bread. The bread of affliction is what they ate at this celebration. Well, Jesus gives thanks, but, but instead of directing the disciples around the table to consider the story of that bread, as they usually did at Passover, as he breaks it and passes it, Jesus connects and directs the people at the table to consider his own body being given for them. He uses sacrificial language as he now takes the bread of affliction and makes it a symbol of his own coming suffering. He sets up a memorial for the sacrifice that he's making for them and the world. Speaking to them as if the sacrifice has has already been made, that it's already been given. Uh, From this point forward, when the disciples would gather, give thanks and break bread, they would consider how Jesus would offer his body not long after speaking these words. Then as another one of the four cups is poured, likely the third cup, the, the one called the cup of redemption, Jesus again draws the minds of the disciples from the redemption that was from slavery in Egypt to the redemption, the buying back of people owned and controlled by sin and death uh, that's going to be accomplished by the shedding of his blood. Exodus 24 and 8, it tells us that the old covenant between God and the people was put in place by Moses sprinkling blood there at the Mount Sinai on the people. The terms of that covenant were broken immediately by the people. Again and again they broke the covenant as they promised to obey the law of God, but didn't. God, though, in his mercy, how many are thankful that God is merciful? God... In his mercy, later sends the promise of a new covenant, because they dirtied the old one up. He sends the promise of a new covenant through his prophet Jeremiah, a new covenant that will provide new obedient hearts and bring the forgiveness of sins to the people, finally making them able to live as God's people. A new covenant. Here Jesus tells his his disciples that his own blood being shed is the key to that new covenant being put in place. It's the signature on that new covenant. New hearts, forgiveness of sins, redemption. The book of Matthew tells us plainly that that Jesus' shed blood puts the new covenant in place as it is for the forgiveness of sins. The Bible also tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sins. He would sacrifice his body 
shed his blood for them and for us. Uh, although it wouldn't happen, although it, it was going to happen on the cross and not actually there on that table, it would continuously be remembered and represented by the bread and cup at that table and the bread and cup at, at this table. And it would be to be remembered until he returns. Jesus serves sacrifice for supper. But one more element is missing before, the new, uh, before that new covenant is fully set in motion. Jesus announces that it's not missing, though. Uh, he announces that it's there at the table as well. One more thing that was necessary. We have his body and his blood being shed, but there's also betrayal. Betrayal. You know, I was looking at the word betrayal, and I was, and I was thinking that uh, for there to be betrayal, there has to be some type of connection or friendship. Uh, an enemy really doesn't betray you because you don't expect anything from an enemy. But behold, Jesus says, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. The scripture not only tells that there will be a new covenant, it also points to how these things will come about. In, in Psalm 41 and in, in verse 9, it says, Even my close friend whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Uh, a lot of the Psalms look forward to the time of the Messiah, and this Psalm 41 kind of hit it on the head, what's going on at the table. It was determined that someone close enough to eat bread with Jesus would betray him. To, to sit at the table at that time and eat with someone was to show connection and relationship. It was an honorable thing to invite and be invited to share a meal with someone the very word and act of betrayal is magnified here by being acted out by someone sitting at the table with him. Someone who was counted as a friend to Jesus. But in this, in this we see the heart of Jesus. Knowing who it was that would betray him. Not only did he invite and sit down to eat with him. We know who it was, by the way. Judas Iscariot, we find out not only did he invite and sit down to eat with him, in the book of John, we find out that it's likely that he even washed his feet along with the other disciples. The love of Jesus was a, a complete love, a, a love that was as, as probably beyond a lot of our, our comprehension, because I don't know how many of us would invite such a character to our table. Uh, his love was demonstrated, the Bible says. God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 and 8. Even, even, even though the betrayal and everything that followed was going to happen, happen according to God's plan, Jesus goes on to make it plain and make it known that the one who does it will still be held responsible. 
And I know there has to be a, a bleeding heart, not in here, somewhere listening online, that, that says, well, if it was part of God's plan, then it doesn't seem fair that he should be held responsible. And then I, I would ask and, and, and answer, what, but what could be more unfair than an innocent man having to die for someone else's sin? I don't think we want to talk to God about fairness. The announcement of that betrayal upsets the room. And here in the last verse, it says, and they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. Although the, the coming of the new covenant should have been, a, should have been good news to these disciples, they, they're rocked by the way it has to come and, and that someone in their own crowd would be guilty of setting it in motion. Nobody in the room was above reproach. They, 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 they started looking at everybody, even who, who they brought with them. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to, I was going to say something else, but I'm going to stop there. If a husband came with his wife, he might look over at her. Is it you? No one in the room was above reproach. Everyone in the room looked guilty to somebody else. They went back and forth examining each other. And in the meantime, Judas, the actual betrayer, had likely left to go carry out his demonic plan. And, and as the evening went on, they began to argue about how great they were as followers of Christ, maybe trying to prove that, that there was no way that they could be the one who would do such a thing. But before that night was over, they'd all find out that none of them was as strong and as guiltless as they thought they were. None of them were without guilt. And considering the disciples, we had to consider ourselves. All of us share in the guilt of Jesus' sacrifice. And he welcomes all of us to the table to take part in the forgiveness that comes through that sacrifice. Jesus gave his body, shed his blood, endured betrayal for those who didn't fully understand or even deserve it, but he welcomes us. So today, let's, let's take time at the table to remember what he's done. Uh, let's, let's come with repentance and find joy in the removing of our guilt. Let's celebrate the future banquet, when, that time when we'll, we'll actually sit face to face with Christ as his people. And let's also consider others who have not yet come to Jesus and his table and ask for the strength and wisdom to reach them. Jesus serves sacrifice for supper. And we're going to partake at the table this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. You provided what we could not. You paid a debt for us that we could not afford. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the immense love that was poured out at the cross. We thank you for the teaching and the example of the table. We thank you for the invitation to your table. 
that if we have placed our faith in you, we may come and eat freely, recognizing that sacrifice and celebrating what it's brought to us and what it will bring to us in that future banquet. We thank you, Lord, for these things. We thank you for these people. We thank you, Lord, for these elements that we're now going to share with each other as communion, as a supper, all these things in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.